Welcome to the Real Talk with Dana podcast. I'm your host, Dana Monsi's licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and body image coach. On this show, you'll learn how to listen to and trust your body instead of trying to control it. We'll dig into the healing power of nutrition from a non-diet, weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size approach. My guests and I will guide you through how to heal from digestive issues and hormonal imbalances, all while making peace with food and your body without obsession or restriction. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Talk with Dana podcast. This is the last episode of January, so it is the last episode on our theme for this month on focusing on non-diet health-promoting behaviors. Now, as you can probably tell, we're going to be focusing on this throughout the year, but each month is going to be a different theme within that theme of non-diet health-promoting behaviors, focusing on different systems of the body or different diseases or maybe body image or anything like that, so you guys can look forward to that. And just in case you missed any of the other episodes on this theme, I will be including those in the show notes, so don't worry about that either. Today, we are digging into disordered eating recovery, gut conditions, and nuance in the all foods fit mentality with our guest, Mindy Gorman-Plutzer. So she is a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner and eating psychology coach. Mindy has created a framework that combines functional nutrition, positive psychology, and mind-body science, introducing a compassionate resolution to physical and emotional challenges resulting from chronic and complex health issues as they relate to eating disorders. Two little reminders here or things to draw your attention to before we get started. So some of these severe gut issues that we're talking about in today's episode do not only come as a result of extremely restrictive and disordered patterns. So if you feel like you're someone who is struggling with serious gut issues and are trying to make peace with food too, please do reach out and I'll have some links for how to get in contact with me in the show notes. And then one more thing before we get started, um, Mindy is in New York City, so you may hear a little bit of sirens in the background just so you know. Going right into it, I do want to learn more about you, and I'm sure the audience does too. So tell us about your background and experience that led you to become a eating psychology coach. Oh, yes. Well, my eating psychology coaching practice has really become a soul-driven passion for me that was born out of my own recovery experience from... 25, 30 years of disordered eating behaviors. I started dieting when I was in my early teens. And of course, I'm going to give you the caveat that not everybody who goes on a diet ends up with a full-blown eating disorder, but I've never met anybody who struggled with an eating disorder that didn't start with a diet. But I just want to get that, that score settled. So I started dieting in my early teens. Um, my parents had battles with their own bodies. So dieting became more of a family affair. It was back in the 60s and 70s. So we were counting calories. Uh, then there was the Atkins diet and the Stillman diet and the cabbage soup diet. And as you may know, all of those protocols are all about restriction. So that's what it became about for me until the times that I was off the diet and um, was, of course, compulsively overeating. Basically, what came out of that for me later on was the knowledge that 
what was missing for me was a connection to my body. I was so tied to the calculations and the thoughts in my head and the beliefs about what food would do to me that I had no sense of what it could do for me. And through a series of pretty serious life-changing events that took me through recovery, where again, I realized I was doing recovery. I had no concept of what it was like to be recovered. And we can, of course, get into that later on. I found myself really needing and, and wanting so badly to reinvent my life and my, and my life's purpose. My children were grown. It was time now to really take that deep dive into myself. So I became a board certified health coach. And that led me to the Institute for the Psychology of Eating where I got certification there as an eating psychology coach. And how I like to explain that is that as an eating psychology coach, I help people uncover and understand who they are as eaters, how they're eating, why they're eating, when they're eating. And I'm sure you can agree that when you really look at those facets of who we are as eaters, the what has a funny way of taking care of itself. That's how we can become intuitive eaters, when we understand the how, the why, and the when. And then from there, I was introduced to functional medicine. And that's where I found my true passion, because I loved to learn about the different systems of the body. And the philosophy of functional medicine is that all the systems are connected. So here I was able to look how, how gut health is impacting hormone health and how all of this physiology is impacting psychology. And what all this training has done for me, besides giving me a direction to help clients, it's allowed me to embrace my own recovery. That was a long-winded explanation, but I hope... <laughs> That's what podcasts are for. Long-winded everything. Uh, you're very kind. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about what it means to be doing recovery versus being truly recovered. Well, I'll, I'll share what it was like for me because I know that a lot of people can relate to it. When I hit bottom the first time, I was in my 30s. Um, my obsession with my weight, the size of my thighs, basically the image that I was projecting to the world through my body became the bane of my existence. My relationships were suffering. I had two teenage daughters. Um, my husband was vacillating between resentment for me and blaming himself. And I was really starting to feel extremely depleted. Besides spiritually and emotionally, I was truly physically depleted. So I took myself into my doctor's office, family physician. And as I said, it, it was, this was the 90s, the early 90s, and didn't have the, the luxury or perhaps even the availability of even knowing of the beautiful spa-like residential treatment centers that are available now. It was either get this done myself or get checked into the local hospital. And basically it would have been the psych ward. And I was too much of a control person to allow that to happen for myself. After all, I had an image to protect. And daughters that I really were, were, was being very protective of. So I was going to the doctor for weekly weigh-ins. I was seeing a, therapy twi a therapist twice a week. 
and I was seeing a dietitian. So it's basically being told what I needed to weigh, how to craft my thoughts and my beliefs, and what I needed to eat. But there was still no support for me to connect to the wisdom of my body. That was doing recovery. There was no embodiment. It was about doing what I needed to do to get from A to B. Later on, when I started to take those deep dives into who I was as an eater, and I looked at my story, I looked at the importance of healing my relationship to self, was when I could start to be recovered. And it's interesting when you say, you know, the traditional or when people call it like the conventional eating disorder recovery, you know, pathway or, you know, the route that people will typically take. The way that it's structured is in a way that it actually kind of caters to the ticks of the eating disorder. You know, it's like, oh, we're used to being in control and that's all that makes us feel better. So you give us a set of tasks to do that when you're doing recovery, like, okay, I can do this, you know, I can eat this thing, even though for most people eating the thing and allowing yourself to get to that weight is a really big hurdle. But I love what you said is like, you weren't really embodying the recovery, right? It wasn't really internal. You weren't really living it. It was just kind of, okay, I'm doing these things because they're telling me what to do, but it's not allowing me to really connect with the signals of my body or why I got here in the first place. Exactly. It was all about symptom management. And unfortunately, the system as it exists now, and I'm sure a lot of that is insurance dictated, you know, a person can stay in a treatment center until they their behaviors subside or they weigh a certain amount and then the insurance company says it's time for them to leave, that's really sad. And I think that is what contributes to a system that becomes more about symptom management than root cause resolution. And there are so many root causes. You know, story plays such a big part. I love Cynthia Bullock said, says, um, Genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. So we can have a whole podcast episode on that alone. That's such a big part of it. But what I believe has to happen for recovery to be truly sustainable, for, for clients, patients to experience full recovery, they must connect to the wisdom of their body. And in doing so, they also need to learn how to become empowered with a meal plan that works for them as well. I personally have a problem with the all foods fit protocol because I don't think it addresses that bio-individuality. I know I could speak for myself and all of my clients who present with really serious gut and digestive issues and hormonal issues that after years of binging, purging, and restricting, the gut microbiome is ravaged. So to say to somebody, well, in order to commit to your recovery, you have to be willing to eat everything. The body is not going to always be able to function fully with everything. There are going to be symptoms. There are going to be imbalances within the microbiome. Not forever, but I think part of the recovery process has to be 
this bio-individuality, um, to understand what is going on, not only in the environment within which the person is living and functioning, but what's happening in the environment within. Yeah, and I mean, there is this narrative that's not even just necessarily in the eating disorder realm, but in the um, anti-diet plus gut health or plus adrenal issues, hormone issues. And people are just out there saying like, oh, you know, just eat everything in the beginning of when you're trying to do this healing protocol. And it's like, well, what about the people who have chronic symptom management or who have chronic illness or somebody who has celiac disease or, you know, something like that, you can't just tell them to eat gluten. You can't just tell someone who has a peanut allergy to eat peanuts. It's not the way it works, right? So when you're combining your functional nutrition approach with positive psychology and mind-body science, if you're having someone who's got, for example, gut dysbiosis or something like that, how do you approach a healing protocol with them if they do have a history of disordered eating? Because at the same time, you can't just put them on the elemental diet. No. I'll tell you the first thing I do not do. The first thing I don't do is introduce the concept of an elimination diet. And that's where the conventional theorists have an issue with functional medicine nutrition because and and i've spoken to many conventional dietitians and therapists my approach is more of a therapeutic protocol to help somebody tune into the wisdom of their body so that they can ultimately become an intuitive eater i'll backtrack to your question in a minute but the point i want to make is this if if you are to become an intuitive eater which means truly listening to the intuition of your body. And your body is telling you, that doesn't agree with me today. And it changes, our bodies change constantly. This is not agreeing with me today. And you're not listening to that cue because somewhere in the back of your mind, you're being told, but you know, if you don't eat that bagel with cream cheese, and if you don't eat that pizza and feel good about it, then you're not really recovered. How can you truly learn to trust your body? And if you can't learn to trust your body, how can you ever become an intuitive eater? So when I work with a client, the very first thing I do with them, after having them write me an autobiography of their relationship with food in their bodies, because I wanna know who they are as eaters. I wanna know about their story. I wanna know about their attachment to story. I want to know about the messages they received about their bodies so that we can look at them together and decipher all of the dysfunction and the disordered beliefs and the toxic beliefs. Those, the toxic beliefs are what need to be eliminated. Those toxic beliefs are just as inflammatory as any food we can put in our system. But after that process, I have them do what I call a food mood poop journal. And and where if, if it's okay, and it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for most people when it's presented this way. Let's gather information. Let's write down everything you eat, how you feel about what you're eating, how, what your hunger is, what your fullness is, and more than your fullness, how satisfied are you? What's going on physically, emotionally, and psychologically? And then what's ending up in the toilet? And this is for informational purposes only. And then patterns emerge and they see, oh, you know, I ate this and I didn't feel so well. And that's how you become empowered. 
it's taking it beyond how the food is making you feel psychologically. It's taking it beyond the fear of what that food will do to them, which is a very big piece. And I certainly don't want to minimize that because we need to do a lot of work on that as well. But let's, let's become empowered with finding a personalized nutrition plan that makes you feel great. Telling somebody that they're not committed to their recovery because after they eat, like I used before the example of a bagel with cream cheese or a piece of pizza, it doesn't sit right. That's so disempowering, so disempowering. And without empowerment, there is no chance for full and sustainable recovery from anything. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so important to talk about that too, because we have people in kind of two camps and then also an overlapping Venn diagram, if you will, right? So we have people that are trying to recover from eating disorders or an elimination diet yo-yo cycle, which is even more common now, right? We have people with gut issues and adrenal issues and hormone issues, and they're being fed all of these things from the food as medicine community. Oh, do this, 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 which causes them to have even more restrictions. And then we have people in the middle, right, which are an overlap of both, whether it's because of these restrictive eating patterns that they have gut issues, or it's because of the gut issues that they now have restrictive eating patterns, right? It's so hard to kind of disentangle that for people and to do the body healing work in terms of the physical symptoms while trying to do the psychological healing work of, you know, in the past, they might have believed, oh, I can't eat this food or I'm not supposed to eat this food because it's going to get make me gain weight. And then on the other side, they're now healing, hearing, I'm not supposed to or I can't eat these things because I should be doing this gut healing protocol. It's just like a spider web of contradictions. And it's no wonder that people get so confused and they end up making these food lists for themselves that are extremely restrictive because they're combining all of these different so-called healing protocols. Yeah, but that's why that a, a client, a patient like that needs to be in therapeutic partnership with a practitioner who really understands because it's all in the semantics. The words matter, it's how it's presented. For example, if I'm working with, with somebody who is a chronic restrictive eater, someone who has a history of anorexic tendencies, and I, I also want to say that I don't work with anybody who is an acute case. I'm working with people that are truly committed to recovery and who want to feel better in their bodies and who you know are still dealing with, with some disordered beliefs, but they are on the other side. Okay, so, the, so there, there's more compliancy. However, if I'm working with someone who's a, a chronic restrictor, who has that history, and we are let's deciding together that we're gonna trial removing gluten from the diet because there's bloating, there's constipation, um, there's that heaviness that's uncomfortable. So that, that's where you need the support because then we're gonna get into the conversation about, well, why do you feel bread is a bad food, right? There are no good foods, there are no bad foods. And if you choose to eat something that is not the best thing for you, you're not a bad person. So that's how the eating psychology comes in. And it's, it's a very fragile dance that we do, but there are so many parts to it that have to come in together at the same time. 
You know, we just like I won't work with somebody who presents that they want to lose weight unless they understand that our work together is going to be about why they put the weight on in the first place. So that's going to look at story. That's going to look at their relationship with self and their relationship to their past. But it's also going to look at what their body is doing with the food they're eating. Right. So um, it works both ways. Um, somebody, if I see that somebody is really holding on to this therapeutic protocol in a way that becomes extremely restrictive, then I'm going to really bring in the whys and the who you are as an eater piece right away. Because it's always about swapping out and swapping in. I'm never going to support somebody eating less, just making different choices. Right. And I think that's why it is, I mean, I do this all the time on this podcast. My listeners will probably be like, Dana, we get it. But it's so important to, if you're struggling with these things, it's so important to reach out to work with a qualified practitioner, right? Not somebody you just randomly see on social media who's spouting about this stuff. And also not just trying to, figure it out for yourself. And I think a, one of the roadblocks that a lot of people, when they do eventually come to me to work with me, will talk about is like, I tried to figure this out on my own for so long because I didn't want to admit that I was struggling with this, right? And I think, you know, whether it's eating disorders, disordered eating, or just a habit or a past of restrictive eating with diets, or even doing these, you know, therapeutically designed elimination protocols, it can all go wrong. But nobody ever wants to admit that something that they tried that worked, quote unquote, worked for so many other people is then causing these disordered patterns in them. But that speaks to what we were talking about before about being disconnected from your body, about not trusting your body. You know, I always say, you know, invite your body to the table as an honored guest. You know, and, and by table, I mean metaphorically, invite your body to the table of life. What are you experiencing? You know, when you eat, eat. This should be an experience. Slow it down, chew your food. What are the thoughts that, you're, that are in your head while you're eating? Are, are they threatening you and creating a stress response? And that will happen if you're thinking, well, I should be eating this. I shouldn't be eating this. Why are you eating this? You're a horrible person for eating this. Or I'm going to stop when, when I decide I've had enough. All those thoughts put you in stress response, which impacts digestion, impacts how you absorb, assimilate, and metabolize. And this is what people need to realize. And that's what we need to do. So we can talk anti-diet culture till the cows come home. But the truth is, that's just another set of food rules. And I think it's, it's also so important to bring to light that connection between the thoughts and beliefs that you have around food all the time putting you in a stress response, but all, especially when you're eating, right? If you're eating, you know, at your holiday table and there are foods that you don't typically have or allow yourself to have throughout the year and like, oh, I shouldn't be eating these foods, you know, all of the shoulds that come up and then the shoulds and shouldn'ts during the meal and then what you should and shouldn't be doing after the meal of what you're telling yourself you're activating that fight or flight nervous system response as opposed to rest and digest. And then here's a question to think about is like, 
are the digestive issues that you're having after that meal because of the foods that you ate or because of your thoughts and beliefs around that food that are activating your nervous system? Absolutely. And, and you know, with Dana, I truly believe that it's the latter. That many of the, the issues that people are having with digestion are caused by the cephalic phase digestive response, right? The first thing that's turned on when we see food, when we smell food, you know, the brain sends signals to the body, to the digestive tract, which uses more energy than any system in the body right away. Digestion actually starts in the head. And, and a lot of people don't realize, and that's what we can help people to realize, that the thoughts they're having about food make a huge difference. Mark David, who is the teacher and the founder of the um, Institute for the Psychology of Eating, one of my favorite teachers that I've ever had the, the privilege to work with, said that inflammatory thoughts about food are worse for the body than any inflammatory food that you could eat. Or maybe he says any imperfect food that you can eat. And it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, which is why I think, you know, this kind of, some people will call it like radical approach that we use to help people with their gut issues and their hormonal issues is really addressing and starting with what is your relationship with food and your body? Because in my opinion, if you're not starting with that, we can't figure out that scenario that I talked about before. Is it your relationship with food and the beliefs that you have about these foods that's setting off your digestive issues? Or is it a gut bacteria imbalance? Or is it, you know, SIBO? Or, or is it anything like that? Unless you can provide me a stool test that shows me exactly what's going on. And then the question is, okay, well, how has your chronically activated stress response altered your gut bacteria, which is now giving you those symptoms. I love that. No, it's physiology impacts psychology and psychology impacts physiology. And when we own that, then we become empowered, you know, and, and yes, it's true that the traditional conventional um, eating disorder thinking recovery mindset today does honor the importance and the strength of the gut-brain connection. But the all foods fit protocol does not, is not in alignment with that. And that's not to say that one will never have that bagel with cream cheese or will never have that piece of pizza. But when there are symptoms that are calling for our attention, it's very important to honor that. Yep, definitely. And I bet for a lot of people, this will seem like a radical conversation if they're coming from the firmly implanted in the anti-diet world, as it's called, right? But if you're having some roadblocks that are coming up against that or saying like, oh, you know, how could they possibly say that? There's something in there that is triggering you, right, to use a popular word, right, and figuring out what is it about that that doesn't make you feel so good. Because at the same time, no one here is saying, oh, yeah, go back to doing an elimination diet, which is what triggered you to be here in the first place, right? Like, obviously, that's not the case. So thinking about, you know, the same way that we've been talking about what are our limiting beliefs around food, around health, around our bodies that drove us to be in this dieting cycle in this restriction cycle in the first place 
what are the some of the limiting beliefs that could be holding you back from seeing a different perspective? It's, it's so interesting. What you're saying right now is, is beautifully triggering so many thoughts in me. So I really want to be able to articulate this carefully because as you're speaking, this is my thought process. So bear with me. A client's presenting with symptoms, right? Um, bloating, gas, some sort of digestive distress, could be heartburn. And that, that's one piece of it. But they're coming for treatment. And the ultimate goal is to help them to honor their bodies, right? Anti-diet, anti-diet, diet culture, um, health at every size is all about honoring one's body. So I'd like to ask those practitioners and those theorists, how is eating something that is going to upset the flow, the rhythm of how our bodies need to operate, honoring one's body? And why does honoring one's body have to depend on being able to eat everything? You see, I think there's disordered thinking there. Am I making sense? And I've never articulated it this way, Dana. It's just really, it, it, it's coming to me now this way. It doesn't make sense to me. How is that honoring one's body? How are we helping our clients to feel good in their bodies when we are promoting eating everything, no matter how it makes you feel, and you'll get used to it? Right. And the interesting thing about this is I find that this can happen to a lot of people, even if they approach intuitive eating or mindful eating or this whole anti-diet movement, if you're still firmly implanted in the black and white of the former diet mentality, right? If you are in the black and white of these foods are good and these foods are bad and I'm only eating these foods or I'm off the walls or whatever, the alternative to that is, oh, well, you know, F it. I'm just going to eat whatever I want and it doesn't matter which is kind of a misconception I find in the intuitive eating world, right? That's not actually what intuitive eating means. But when you approach intuitive eating with still this black and white yes versus no mindset, of course it's going to be, again, the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. I was restricting so hard and now I'm just going to eat whatever I want because it doesn't matter. Well, that's not true. It does matter, right? You do want to eat in accordance with your body. But I find a really hard thing for people is if you are still firmly implanted in this black versus white, yes versus no mindset, it's almost impossible to listen to your body because you've been told for your whole life you can't trust your body because you're going to eat all of these things are going to be unhealthy for you and it's going to make you gain weight. Absolutely no question. There's something missing in that equation. Um, with what we're just talking about, with, with the anti-diet movement and the health at every size. Because very few people can eat everything and not have it affect their bodies in some way. And I'm not talking about once in a while. You know, I'm talking about health at every size is great when you have a healthy relationship with food. Right, we want to incorporate all aspects of health, including physical health, mental health, emotional health, your relationship with food and your relationship with your body. Yeah. 
yeah, and, and it, but it all goes back to our relationship with self. Right, because our relationship with self is reflected in our relationship with everything else. And if we don't trust our hungers, we don't trust the messages that our bodies are giving us, we can never learn to love our bodies because we can never love what we don't trust. And we can never trust what we don't love. So that's where it needs to start. You know, that's where we need to start and really look at root cause resolution because we know it's not about the food. You know, eating disorders just start out as a brilliant solution to what we feel we can't handle. Eating disorders aren't the problem. And that's, that's what needs to be honored. You know, when I created my, my framework, the seven steps to food freedom, only one step has to do with food. And it's really more of a nutrition 101 piece. It's talking about macronutrients and micronutrients and, and detailing what happens when we have deficiencies. And it talks about the energetics of food. And it talks about food and mood. But the steps that really matter are finding you're enough, rest and digest, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're not, eat mindfully, do something every day to make your body feel alive, only eat whole foods as often as you can, and make sure you surround yourself with what truly nourishes. And that's what's really important. And that's how we can best help our clients, to help them find their enough and listen to the wisdom of their bodies and include them in the conversation. I hope people can find a lot of wisdom and then also kind of like a hug with this conversation of like, everything's going to be okay. You know, like it's hard. It is hard, but you can come out on the other side. You don't just have to figure this all out by yourself. So Mindy, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? And I have, I have several free resources actually on the site. I have a, and I really talk about and introduce a functional approach to disordered eating recovery so that you could finally say goodbye. I like, I like to say that we can tell our eating disorders, thank you for your service, you're no longer needed. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much. It was really fun. I really had a great time. I so appreciate the opportunity. Hey there, thanks for listening to the Real Talk with Dana podcast with me, your host, Dana, obviously. And I just wanted to say, you're the best. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Maybe send a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Why would you do that, you ask? Because this helps more people find the show so that we can spread the food and body peace word, break down diet culture, and the unrealistic beauty standards that make us all feel like we need to shrink ourselves with food and exercise in order to be worthy in the world, which sucks. For discussion on the show episodes, if you want to request a guest or ask a question, if you'd like some support, please join the non-diet community on Facebook, which is a free group where you can go get some community and support. I'll see you over there and see you next week.